This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Our hour of crime dramas begins this week with Mr. District Attorney. We'll hear the case of the deadly devotion from May 17, 1950. After that, it's crime classics and Coyle and Richardson, why they hung in a spanking breeze from December 30th, 1953. Mr. District Attorney, champion of the people, defender of truth, guardian of our fundamental rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it shall be my duty as District Attorney... Not only to prosecute to the limit of the law all persons accused of crimes perpetrated within this county, but to defend with equal vigor the rights and privileges of all its citizens. The case of deadly devotion. You have no idea how these old phonograph records take me back, Mr. St. Charles. Look, here's Dardanella, remember? You select whatever you want to hear, Mrs. Post. The other club members will enjoy it, I know. Honestly, I don't know when I've enjoyed myself so. Oh, here's the two black crows, my, my. You do like it here, then? I mean, at the Devotion Club? Like it? Why, Mr. St. Charles... Harry, please. Oh, thank you. Do I enjoy it? For I think what you're doing here is simply wonderful. I hope so. People our age, people in the flush of life, you might say, have a difficult time making new friends. We don't hear, I'll say that. I'm glad you feel that way. You especially, Laura. The moment you came into my office, I... Is something wrong? Oh, I'm sorry, but that man seems to be beckoning to you. There, that one near the door. Near the door? Oh. Oh, yes, I... I see. You know him. He doesn't look like one of the members. What? Will you excuse me, my dear? I'll see what he wants. Oh, don't worry about me, Harry. I'll pick out the records before the members start around. You don't look glad to see me, Harry. Nick. Nick, my boy. I... Well, don't we shake hands, Harry? Back when we were cellmates, I thought we got to be pretty good friends. Nick, you can't stay here. Look, my boy. What I... do you mean, can't? I had quite a time looking you up, pal. Yeah, you get quite a layout here. What's the gimmick? Look, I'll uh, I'll give you my address. I have a house. No kidding. We can talk later on, but please, Nick. The Devotion Club, huh? What do you do? Get a lot of old dames in here and take them? Don't say that. Really, you must go, Nick. It, go! It... Come off it, pal. We're buddies, remember? Coop in the same hatch back in stir. Yes, I know, my boy, but... Go! Why, you're flubstruck, Harry. I'm gonna stay. Oh, I picked that information request out of the file, Chief. The one from St. Louis. Oh, which one was that, Harrington? A young punk named uh, Oliver. Nick Oliver. Oh, I saw that when it came through. Uh, He was released from prison out there, wasn't he? That's right, Miss Miller. And from looking at his record, he's on his way back. St. Louis thinks he's here in town. That's the tip they got, Chief. Mm-hmm. For the bum like him, even when he's released, it pays to keep an eye on him. Well, what is his record? I didn't read all the report. Well, <clears throat> little Nick is quite a boy, it seems like. He's got an arrest record as long as your arm. And there's a charge against him now? Well, they want to talk to him about a little accident, Chief. 
Seems the day he got out, a pal of his turned up with a hole in his head. What? That's right. Then it turns out the dead guy ratted on Nick in the first place. It was his testimony that sent him up. And they didn't pick him up? No, it happened in a little town outside of St. Louis, Chief. Mm. By the time the local boys notified the city, Nick was on his way. And they think he's here? Yeah, it looks that way. I've been doing a little checking up on him this morning. Oh, any luck? No, it's a little early, Chief. They're sending us his prison record, personnel report, all that. Mm-hmm. If he's got some pals in town, chances are he'll look him up. Well, let's hope so. The St. Louis authorities have helped us a great deal in the past. I'd like to return the favor. Oh, I'll find him, Chief. <laughs> Bums like that always go in a pattern. Well, how do you mean? Well, that's one way you find a guy, Miss Miller. You study his habits. Find out what kind of bars he hung around in. What kind of people. Uh-huh. Get a line on him. You know, what kind of dames he goes for. Whether he likes sports, drives a car, his clothes, anything. Yes, the personnel report should contain most of that. Sure, then as soon as we know what kind of a guy he is, we pass the word along to places where he might show up. And then wait for a tip. Tips help. Isn't it strange criminals are so willing to turn each other in? Well, it really isn't strange, Miss Miller. It's part of the criminal nature. Fear. That's right. And when he turns a pal in, he feels safer for a little while. You'd think they'd realize that someday they all get caught. Yes, they do. That's the basis of the fear. Take this man Harrington's trying to find. Nick Oliver? Yes. Wherever he is right now, he's afraid. And why? Because he knows that sooner or later we'll get him. And we will. <laughs> realize you were here in my office? I thought it better to wait in here, Harry. I'm delighted. Have you been waiting long? There isn't much here to amuse you, I'm afraid. It's quite all right. I was reading an article in this week's Colliers. Oh? It's most entertaining about Mr. District Attorney. You know, the radio program. I'll have to read it. Sit down, my dear. No, thank you. You seem so, so formal, Laura. Is anything wrong? Yes, Harry. A great deal. I don't understand. I I thought the dance last night was most enjoyable. Who is that man, Harry? A man? I think you're evading me. I mean Mr. Oliver. Nick? Why, he's an old friend, Lord. I I told you that. He's been here a week, Harry. Have you any idea how much the club has changed in that short time? Changed? In what way? Good heavens, are you blind? Do you realize that man encouraged the members to gamble... Yes, and to drink. Now, Laura... Oh, you needn't put your arm around me, Harry. I'm disgusted. I wrote my sister about it last night. Now, Laura, listen to me. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps. When that nice Mrs. Webster lost $43 playing dice... As I say, Nick is impetuous. I shouldn't have permitted him to stay. Oh, he's a very bad young man, in spite of that smile of his. I tell you, Harry, this has changed my opinion of everything. Including us? Well, to tell you the truth, I haven't made up my mind. There's something wrong here, Harry. Uh, Laura, my dear, wait. No, I'm going home now. I've had my say. Home before the dance tonight? I won't be at the dance, Harry. I'm not sure I shall return here at all. But the money... uh, I mean, you decided to do so much. I have my doubts about that, too. Goodbye, Harry. Harry, do you think... It's quite all right, Mr. Oliver. I was just leaving. Laura, wait. Thank you. No. Goodbye. 
It's eating the old bag. You fool, you blundering idiotic. Oh, no, I'm wrong. I'm the fool, not you. It's a trouble, pal. She looked pretty steamed up. I was crazy to let you stay crazy. I'll wait back on that again. I told you, Harry, ain't got much choice. I was getting along so well. Yeah, well, now you're doing even better. And you can stop yakking about getting rid of me, Harry. Or do I tell these old crows where you and me met? Dice tables, liquor in the punch, shakedowns. In heaven's name, Nick, what are you trying to pull? Oh, I need plenty, pal. This is as good as any joint to get it from. But I don't operate that way. I told you I play it slow. Well, that's too bad. I play it fast. What was her name? What? The dame in the uproar just now. It was Mrs. Post. Not a post. Yeah, well, she can take the... Wait a minute. Is that the one? The one what? The dame you were building up for the big one. Sure it was. I remember the name. She has $20,000 in convertible bonds. She's got what? I've worked on her for three months personally. And now it's all for nothing. She was going to kick in twenty grand. She was, even if I had to marry her. Where'd she go, huh? I imagine so. She's washed up, though. You and your quick scheme scared her off. Where does she live, Harry? I never mind. I get it from my members. You stay away from her. And <laughs> you think you could change her mind? You? Change it? You're oh. why she pulled out. It's a washup, I tell you. <laughs> you know, you con boys give me a pain. Twenty grand and you quit like a spoiled kid. I know when a score is cold, Nick. Yeah, well, I know when it's hot. Twenty G's, Harry, my boy. That's plenty hot. Now, where are you going? Calling. What? You heard me. I'm calling on Mrs. Post. Oh, come in, Harrington. Yeah. I, I didn't want to bust in, Chief. Oh, it's quite all right. I just thought I'd bring you up to date on Nick Oliver. Oh, uh, the one they want in St. Louis? That's my boy. Oh, I got a pile of dope on him. Brother, he's something. Yes. Yeah, he started out when he was 13 years old. He stuck up a gas station, and when the attendant was slow with the money, little Nick hit him with a hammer. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's only the beginning, Miss Miller. The bum's record runs six full pages. Uh, any idea where he is now? No, not yet, Chief, but I got a good lead. Yes, what is it? Well, a punk that looks like him hit town about a week ago. Mm-hmm. Come in by bus from over the state line. Do you think it's Nick? Well, maybe, but I know this, Miss Miller. When a rip-and-tear man like that arrives, a lot of guys know about it, and fast. It's remarkably fast, usually. That's the grapevine, Chief. Mm-hmm. And today, they're saying there's a baby-faced guy like Nick in town. Just a minute. I'm coming. Yes? Uh, just a moment. I'll turn on the porch light. No need for that. I can see okay. Now, see here. Just put the... Oh, it's you. I got to talk to you, Mrs. Post. It's about uh, something that happened at the club. The devotion club? Uh-huh. I don't want to hear about uh, it. Let's sit down. I do, uh, how about in here? Now, see here. I've said I don't want to discuss anything. Perhaps getting ready for bed. Now, this is important, Mrs. Post. It's for your own good. For my own good? Whatever do you mean? You and Harry? I beg your pardon? I told you it was important. Go on. Sit right down and relax. Come to the point, please. Ah, that's fair enough. Uh, Harry tells me you've got 20,000 bucks laying around. What do you want, Mr. Uh, Oliver, isn't it? Uh, Nick's enough. 
And I want to tip you off, Mrs. Post. It's just a friendly gesture. I think perhaps you'd better leave. I'm playing straight with you. You take the dough and put it in a big, strong bank. You understand? I'm sorry. I think all this is, uh, well, to say the least, Mr. Oliver, none of your concern. Yes, you're hard to convince. Look, will you promise me one thing? Hardly. Yeah, well, first thing in the morning, take the dough and put it in a bank. I never heard of anything like this in my life. Is that too much to ask? Put it in a bank? Very well. Suppose I promise you. Now will you go? Uh, be more definite. You'll put it in tomorrow? Yes, yes. Now will you please leave my house? <laughs> That's funny. And Harry said I wasn't smooth. That's a laugh. Well, what do you mean? Kid, you just told me the one thing I wanted to know. What? I had to be sure that those here, didn't I? I'll get it up. Get it up? Come on, come on, let's not waste time. Where do you keep it? You get out of here. Well, you're the raisin. I'm a busy man, baby. Get the dough. I, I don't believe it. I just don't. Look, I got no time to fool around. If I have to, I'll kick this joint upside down. But... Yeah, I may have to take a few belts at you. Now get smart, will you? Just hand it over nice and easy. I, I'll do nothing of the kind. Don't look so greedy at the phone, kid. You reach for that and I'll break your little arm. Do you realize what you're doing, do you? Yeah, I do. But you don't. I'm getting sore, sister, and that ain't good, you know. I... But I haven't got the money here. You lie in your teeth. You just said so. Now, get it up fast. Uh, Mr. Oliver, listen Never to me. mind the routine. I got one of my own. You what? How many rooms in this dump? Eight? Nine? I can go through them in an hour. You wouldn't dare. If I have to look for the scratch, that is. And you know something, baby? I just can't do a good job with you around, Bob. I don't understand. Oh, it's simple. Either you hand over the dough like a good kid, or I'll kill you. Kill me, you? I'd have to, if I have to search for it, at least. <laughs> you see? You've got a gun. Oh, that's the flash of the week. Okay. Make up your mind. Oh, please. Where's I... the dough? I... I don't know. Oh, I'll be... <laughs> You shot me. Please. Oh, you sure make it tough on yourself, sister. Yeah, and on me, too. Now I gotta tear this joint apart. There's enough reporters out in that yard to cover a World Series. Well, I don't wonder, Harrington. Mrs. Post is very prominent in this city. Yes, we're about ready to add up, Harrington. Yeah? Has Dr. Colgan finished? Uh, yes, just about, Chief. He fixes the time of death as between 9 and 11 last night. That's right. Shot once at about two feet away. Uh, what about the doors and windows? Did Brophy check? Just finished, Chief. Every one of them closed and locked from the inside. How about inventory, Miss Miller? Well, I've been trying to get somewhere on that. Her nearest relative is a sister, but she lives in Chicago. Yes, well, perhaps one of the neighbors can estimate what's missing for us. All you know, right. Chief, there's one thing I don't like about this. Yes, what's that? Well, when the grocery kid discovered something was wrong this morning and called the patrolman... Yes? It looked like a nice, neat case of robbery. And? I mean, everything's just like we've seen it many times before. The house all ransacked and the dame dead. 
Yes, yes, that's the impression, at least. She probably resisted, and the burglar got panicky and shot. Except for one thing. What's that? Well, just look around, Miss Miller. There's her purse with ten bucks still in it. There's a gold lighter on the table. Upstairs, there's a hunk of jewelry on her dresser. Yes, yes, I saw that, too. Say, uh, take a look at that purse, Miss Miller. All right. This was a burglary. The guy sure passed up a lot of nice items. It is strange. Still, if he were frightened after he shot, he might have run out. Say, yeah. Chief. Yes? Here's something odd. In her purse? Yes. Mm. Mrs. Post belonged to the Devotion Club Limited, mm. whatever that is. Uh, here's her membership card. The Devotion Club? Uh-huh. Are you kidding? Why? Do you know anything about it, Harrington? Well, sure I do. Well, maybe not that particular outfit, but I've heard that name. Mm-hmm. It's one of those agencies that helps people meet other people. Really? Yeah, most of them are on the up and up, but sometimes they're not. Yes, it's strange that a woman like Mrs. Post should belong to one. Uh, put the card in your pocket, Harrington. Right. We may have to check that club. Mm, I can drop around and ask a few questions. Yes, do that. Uh, no need to arouse suspicion, however. Uh, put a little gray on your temples, and you can drop around as a prospective member. It's a cinch, Chief. Well, let's hope the whole case is a cinch. Now, if you'll call Dr. Colgan, Miss Miller, we'll get to work. I hope I've made everything clear, Mr. Harrison, was it? Yeah, that's right, Mr. St. Charles. You see, we don't take just anyone into our membership here. Only those we know to be sincere. Oh, I'm, I'm sincere, all right. I, I've been wanting to meet people for a long time. I see. You dance, do you? <laughs> just a little. Ah, back home, I never had much time for it. And that was where, did you say? Oh, I had a cattle ranch out west. Did you indeed? Yeah, I had 7,000 head at one time. Then when I made my pile, well, I just quit. Well, that was sensible, Mr. Harrison. We all work too hard in this life. Wear ourselves out. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> From now on, Mr. St. Charles, I'm just going to spend my money and enjoy myself. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, well, could I uh, get into your little club here, do you think? Well, ordinarily, Mr. Harrison, I interview a candidate a number of times before we accept it. Oh, yeah, sure. Then, as I explained, we make every effort to see that you meet people of your own age and interests. Suits me. And you know, sir, you suit us. I do. You do. We'll dispense with the interviews, Mr. Harrison. You can meet the members tonight. <laughs> listed everything the neighbors mentioned, Chief. Mm-hmm. You know not one thing's been taken from this house? Well, it's difficult to understand, Miss Miller. Unless, of course, Mrs. Post kept a great deal of money someplace here on the premises. Yes. The neighbors would hardly know if it were missing or not. Well, her sister might. I've got Dorothy back at the office trying to get through to her in Chicago. Yes, that'll help. And perhaps Harrington will have some luck, too. Is he still out? I guess so. He hasn't called back. Mm-hmm. He was going over to that club to see what he could find. Uh, yes, it's the mailman, I think. Uh, do you want me to see? Yes, will you? Okay. Oh, thank you. I was right, Chief. Here's a magazine and one letter. Oh? It's a postmark, uh, let's see, Chicago. Hmm. It's a woman's handwriting, too, Chief, probably from her sister. Here, may I look at it? Of course. Hmm. Well, I think I'll open it, Miss Miller. Under the circumstances, I can take the responsibility. Oh, sure, Chief. Anything to help. I'll keep going on this inventory. Right. 
Well, I'll be... Say, Miss Miller. Yes? Uh, this letter is remarkable. It may be just what we need. Well, Chief, the guy's a phony from away back. I could smell it all over him. Uh, this Mr. St. Charles, you mean? Yeah, yeah, Miss Miller. Slick as a whistle. Even if he's got nothing to do with Mrs. Post, we'd better break up that joint of his on general principles. Yes, we have more reason than that to break it up, Harrington. Yeah? Miss Miller and I had quite a day, too. Oh, anything look good? Oh, yes, plenty. Uh, you're attending this dance at the club tonight, you said? That's right. Starts at nine. Well, all right, you be there, then. And if you can, get St. Charles into his office. And here's what we're going to do. I'm sorry, I'm busy. Nick, I thought I told you to stay away from here. Can an old pal drop in to say goodbye, Harry? I don't want anything to do with you. You know, you cowboys operate funny. We don't get mixed up in a murder. Oh, you heard about that, huh? I read the papers. It's funny. I was even thinking of giving you part of the stash. You know, just for old times' sake. You mean you got the money? All of it? I'm leaving, ain't I? What's the answer to that? But the paper said nothing was taken. You read too much, Harry. Just like back in the cell block. I had no idea. Why, sit down, Nick. No need to rush. <laughs> oh, you kill me, you know. Now you're interested all of a sudden. No, no, I'm not, Nick. I give you my word. No kidding. Look, I took in a new member today. He's loaded, Nick. Big cattle man from out west. Well, take him, why don't you? I intend to. Only you can help me, my boy. Think of it. We'll take him together. Huh. You'll take the old dame's dough, you mean? No, thanks, Harry. I'm shoving off. Hey, do you mind if I come in, Mr. St. Charles? What? Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Harrison. I'm busy just now. If you'll... Mr. Harrison... Uh, this won't take long. Come right in, Laura. I told you I'm very Thank busy. You. Good Lord. Hello, Harry. Love... For the love of... Oh, what's the matter? You fellas look like you've seen a ghost. I think they're surprised to see me. You don't say. Well, hey, I, I gotta get out of here. No, no, no. Stick around, Sonny. You interest me. You know, I could swear I've seen your face before. Like on the St. Louis police posters. Hey, well... Well, what's going on here? Don't you remember? You came to my house last night. No. No, I didn't. Laura, I, I can't believe it. The paper said you you were dead. Perhaps. Do you think so, Nick? Look at me. No. Don't come near me. Please, don't. Nick, listen to me. She's dead, I tell you. Really, Nick? Look again. Closer. No, I tell you. No. Harry, don't let her come near me. Mr. Harrison, please. Please take her out of here. Do you remember now, Nick? Last night? You, you're dead, I tell you. I was there. I I saw you die. That's what I'm waiting to hear, pal. All right, back up, both of you. This is a very touchy gun. Mr. Harrison. The name is Harrington, pal. Just stand still. Okay, Chief. Better stand back, ma'am. Thank you, Mr. Harrington. I do feel a little faint. Are we all set in here, Harrington? Perfect, Chief. Nick just spilled the whole story. Nick? Yeah, and a little added touch, Chief. This is our St. Louis boy. Oh. Looks kind of pale right now. Oh, Chief, the members are all waiting downstairs. Yes, we'll go down and explain things to them in just a moment, Miss Miller. Right. Are you all right, Mrs. Rogers? Yes, thank Mrs. you. Mrs. Rogers? What do you mean? Hey, look, uh, I don't get it. We were very fortunate, gentlemen. 
I think you knew Mrs. Post had a sister in Chicago? Sure, she said... Well, this is Mrs. Post's sister. What you didn't know, however, is that she happens to be a twin. An identical twin. District Attorney comes to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Crime Classics. I am Thomas Highland with another true story of crime. Listen. That's a frigate cutting through the Caribbean. It's just before dawn and cloudless is the sky. The year is 1736, when the stars were younger than they are now and shone more brightly. And this particular sky of tropic brilliance was a navigator's dream. Land was close and a trade wind bellied the mainsail and set the good frigate scudding. And daylight was just beyond the horizon. There, at the wheel, the helmsman, John Richardson. And holding his bottle for him was his small and drunken friend, Richard Coyle. The frigate sank in six minutes and drew sharks. The helmsman and his friend got away only to commit other nuisances on the seven seas. So tonight, my report to you on Coyle and Richardson, why they hung in a spanking breeze. Crime Classics, a series of true crime stories from the records and newspapers of every land from every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Highland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Now, once again, Mr. Thomas Highland.
They were making rum in Havana in 1736. The place went good with rum. It was hot. There were a lot of mosquitoes. And in every nook and cranny, there were dark-eyed beauties. It was necessary to fortify oneself. Beside which, Havana was under almost continual attack by pirates and buccaneers, some of whom stayed over because of the rum. So the town was peopled mostly, beside the dark-eyed beauties, that is, by transient cutthroats, deserting sailors, runaway slaves, uncaught murderers, and, generally speaking, black-hearted knaves. All in all, a populace dedicated to Saturday night. One of the fellows who just had Saturday night and was lying in an alley was a deserting seaman named John Richardson. That's John for you. And here comes Dick. Dick Coyle, a little man who robbed drunken sailors. Here we Such a big one you are, mate. So much of you unconscious. Now let's see what you got in your pockets to make a small one like me more comfortable. Ah, now here's... Ah! Gotcha, little weasel. Let me go! Let me go! Little scurvy. Going through my pockets, were you? How you wanted, mate? Knife? Or just twist your neck? <laughs> little sparrow. Think I will twist your head clean off. No, mate. No, mate, listen to me. At what? It's an important thing I got to tell you, mate. Ah. Uh... I swear. And something to give you, too, mate. Hey, now. Hey. What? Ain't you... Uh, ain't you... I'm John Richardson. What John you... Richardson. John. Old John. Big John. How be you, John? What weaseling you doing, mister, to keep me from killing you? Now, why should you be killing me? For stealing my pockets dry. I was leaning close over you to see if you be big John Richardson. Because I got this for you. What? This watch. This watch I'm holding up for you. See how it spins, John. See how pretty from a chain... Pretty. Gold. Pretty. And it's yours, big John Richardson. Take it. Go on. What's the matter? You weren't looking for me to give me a... What? What? There comes a sailor, John. With a sea bag, John. What of it? Who can tell what's in the sea bag? Jewels, maybe. Or what can be sold for money? Could you take it from him, John? Give me the watch, you said. You take that sea bag from the sailor boy and I'll give it to you. You swear? I do, John. Oh, I do. Now give me the watch. Now first let's see what's in the sea bag. Why, here's a pretty John. A knitted hat. Put it on, John. Do. I'll help you. There. How nice you look, John. And a friendship was born. And all over the Caribbean, people ducked when John Richardson and Dick Coyle came into town. However, there were the unwarned the unwary, 
For instance, on a night in Port-au-Prince, Alaska, off a trader. You can pluck the earring from his ear, John. Get him. Oh, Alaska. Good, John. Huh? <clears throat> Hatch the boy, John. Help yourself. It'll look fine in your ear. Or on a night in Roanoke, just when the colonists were finally going good in there with the Indians. Indians has got nothing. Have to hit a dozen of them before it's worth the night. And then, professionals that they were, they were ready for New York. And they made out well. The big city folks hadn't heard about them, so no one was ducking. And just when Big John and Little Dick were raking it in, so to speak, you guessed it, a woman. Put me down. <laughs> Put me down. Put her down, John. He's a strong one, John is, ain't he, Bertha? Oh, yes. John. Aye. Would you like to kiss Miss Nolding? Aye. He'd like to kiss you. <laughs> Go on, Johnny. <laughs> He's my friend, Johnny is. He's my friend. Dick. Uh, Dickie. Kiss her again, John. Kiss her. <laughs> now you listen to me, Dickie. <laughs> Dickie! Uh, don't you do it, John. Don't you do nothing to me. I'll leave him be, John. I just want to tell him... I'm listening at you, John. I like this one, Dickie. Uh, I like to marry this one. I'll be blowed. I like you too, John. Oh, ask her. Ask her. You? Me? Uh, Miss Nolan, uh, my friend would consider it indeed a great honor if you give him your hand in marrying. Oh, I'd love to. Which are the events immediately surrounding the marriage of Bertha Nolding and John Richardson? They moved into a small cottage and took in one boarder. You know who, Dick Coyle. John was so enamored with Bertha that Dick couldn't get him to go out nights and do their routine on the docks. So soon, their money ran out. Let's go to sea again, John boy. Bertha. Yes, John boy? He wants me to go to sea again. Why? The money's run out. And... Why don't you go to sea again, John Bowie? And they got a berth on the good ship Malta Queen, shipping tar out of Boston, picking up sugar out of Havana and taking it to Florida. And one night, just before dawn, John was at the wheel, and Coyle was by his side. Have another, John Boy. Drink here. Good rum. Uh, Havana rum's the best. And uh, look what you've done. And what have I done? Let go of the wheel and look at the zigzag you're making. <laughs> <laughs> Come, wheel. Come to me, wheel. Wheel spin. <laughs> I'll have you another, John boy. After you, mate. Oh, no, after you. All righty. <coughs> Havana rum's the best rum. Tell you what it does. Goodens the eye. You know it now. 
Goodens the eye, aye? Goodens it. Give you for instance. Give me one, Johnny boy. Off the bow there. Rocks. The kiss of the sisters rock, they call it. Know it well, for when I sail with... And you're thinking we'll hit it with the boaty now, the way we're sailing. Aye, that I do. That we won't. Sharp eyes in me now that the Havana rums. You remember that shipwreck, don't you? In which the frigate sank in six minutes? It is interesting to note that the coral rock known as the Kiss of Three Sisters was later changed by seamen to Shark's Feast Rock, and so it remains today. Coyle and Richardson, however, clung to a spar and drifted to shore, the sole survivors of their grisly mistake. They were picked up from an atoll in Key West by a pirate band with whom they made fast friends, as their personal philosophies were very much akin. In six months, Richardson and Coyle were back in New York, sunburned and broke. They made their way immediately to the little cottage where resides John's wife, Bertha. And what did you bring from me, John? I had your name tattooed to me. Now, what a thing to bring to a wife. Dick here had your name tattooed to him, too. Now, did you, Dick? Aye, right across my chest. Mrs. Bertha Richardson. Your loves, the two of you. Now, I have a surprise for you. What be it? I've got 800 pounds. Oh. Have you now? My daddy, dear, died of the jumping glanders. Oh, poor man. And 800 pounds he left, did he? He did, indeed. And where's the pounds, me darling Mrs. Richardson? In the loose brick there. Keeping it as a surprise for my wandering Johnny boy. Come to me, Johnny boy. Aye. John? Johnny boy, I missed you. Do it, John. A pretty throat, John. Bertha. John. Do it. We'll have that money, John. Bertha. Bertha. That's the lad. Bertha. You've done it, lad. Bertha. Lad. Lad, John boy. Let go, Johnny boy. You've done it. It's here, John. The money's here, just like Bertha said. What a surprise for a homecoming. Good boy. As luck would have it, there was a boat leaving that very night for Italy. The Sorrento Dove, Captain Lucian Faber, master. The boys signed on. Three nights at sea, Dick Coyle got the first mate so drunk that all he had to do was lead him by the hand and... That's how Coyle's friend Richardson got to be first mate.
are listening to Crime Classics and your host, Thomas Hyland. This coming Sunday, for the fifth consecutive year, CBS Radio's Edward R. Murrow calls in CBS Radio newsmen from all over the world to take part in person in his Years of Crisis report to the nation. A review of 1953 and forecast for the year to come will come from correspondents who've seen it all happen in Europe and Asia during the past year. You owe it to yourself to hear Years of Crisis, 1953, this coming Sunday. And now, once again, Thomas Highland and the second act of Crime Classics and his report to you on Coyle and Richardson, why they hung in a spanking breeze. Venice, Italy in 1737 is where Richardson and Coyle made their next appearance. They were in a gondola being pulled down the Grand Canal, enjoying the sights and the company of Carlotta Faber. It was my husband kind to you? A question asked because Captain Lucian Faber was her husband, and Captain Faber was the master of the vessel that had brought the lads to Venice. I was kind to them. Ain't she a pretty one, Mr. Coyle? Ow! The captain asked, jabbing Dick Coyle with his elbow. What's the elbow, Captain? When my mate stumbled overboard, I made Richardson there take his place. And when I lost my second in the blow off the Azores, well, I promoted Mr. Coyle. Didn't I, Mr. No! Please, Captain. And a fine mate, I'd say, Mr. Richardson did make. Ah, and you'd be saying true, Mrs. Captain Faber. Look at him there, sleeping like a babe. Big John Richardson. Bambino. Molte bambino. Molte, molte. Carlotta, you promised not to talk Italian when I come home. I've got no way of knowing what you said when... I said simply that Mr. Richardson was a large baby. Large, large. Captain. Uh, yes? How come you come to settle here in Venice, Captain? Carlotta, her home. She doesn't want to leave. I want to take her to Camden, New Jersey to live, my home. But the dear darling wanted to stay here in Venice. Molte, molte, molte. Huh? Well, what did you say, dear darling? Nothing. Oh, bring yourself here, dear darling, and lean against me. Come. No. Now you just come here. No, no. Now, you don't have to be bashful about my if friend. If I will move, I will awaken this great bambino who has fallen asleep in such a way that I... Let's don't wake him, Captain. He'll just clutter up. Let's talk about what we started out to talk about. Yes. John and me always wanted to own a ship, Captain. What are you humming for, Carlotta, dear darling? I want to hum, that is all. Captain... Oh, yes. Go on, mister. What were you saying? John and me always wanted a boat. Ain't saying we got enough to buy a whole boat. Not a whole boat such as yours, but half a boat. How much you holding, mister? Six hundred pounds. Can't sell you no partnership for so little. Seven, Captain. I'm loading cargo tomorrow for Honduras, mister. Before I get clearing, I'm needing more than seven, mister. Eight, and that's all we got. And uh, that's all I need. We'll draw papers in the morning. Good. Full partners. Full partners. And one of us gets hurt or dead, the share goes to the other. Agreed. John, Johnny boy, wake. Uh, <clears throat> we own half a boat, Johnny. Ah. Half a boat. How did I get here? Molte, molte. 
mind you, Johnny boy. Keep it on course. Aye. Hold the wheel as tight as if we were your own lady. Aye. This ain't the Malta Queen to be run up on the rocks, John. This is our own ship. Half. Johnny boy. That's thinking you're doing when you say it's a shame only half the ship belongs to us. And such a shame, too. Aye. Aye, you say. And why do you say that? What could be in that thinking brain of yours? Huh? You said twas a shame only half the ship was... You said it, so it must be a shame. Shall I tell you why, John boy? Aye. Because half a ship is half a cargo and half a profit. Aye. And the whole ship... Well, now listen, John boy. We contracted with a captain. One partner dies, his share goes to the other. Aye. He's in his cabin, John boy. In his hammock. Peaceful. And? Let's have him an accident, John boy. Aye. Now. Aye. Aye, Preebles. Avast, Preebles. Take the wheel for Mr. Richardson, mister. The captain's calling to us. Oh, it's a good day for us, John boy. You know who is a nice lady? Uh-huh. The captain's wife. She's a widow you can marry with. Aye. Here. Oh, Mr. Hartley. Now, what can I do for you, mister? A steward, you be holding the blunderbuss under lock and key. Aye. And so? Well, let's have it, lad. Let's have it. Only the captain asks for the blunderbuss and gets it, mister. The first mate here wants it. I want it. Only the captain wants it and gets it. John, boy. Aye. Such a big gun, this blunderbuss. Come along, John. It's a beautiful way to die, Johnny boy. Sleeping in a hammock with softy dreams. Put the muzzle to him, John, and send him on. Well, do it. Dickie. Do it. I can't. Chicken heart of a man, pull the trigger. Shoot his head uh, off. Uh, uh, the trigger's stuck. What, what is happening here? Strangle him, John boy. Throw the gun aside and strangle him. Aye. No, you don't. No. Catch him, John. Shoot him, strangle him, run, put the gun aside, strangle him. Which? What do you want me to do? Catch him, catch him and kill him. He's climbing the rigging, Dickie. Well, let him climb. We'll shoot him down from there like a nesting bird. Hey there, Captain. You know what's going to happen to you, don't you? Mean man, you'll sail to the death of all of us. Get the trigger fixed, John boy. Aye. Aye, aye. Let me try to construct the picture for you. A picture first, a frigate under full sail on the Honduras run. Sea, sky, ship. Now, rigging of ship. Now, on rigging, captain of ship. Fresh from a noonday snooze in a hammock. 
who, from force of habit, had time only to grab his plumed captain's hat. Scared. Below him on deck, Dickie Coyle and John Richardson. Dickie threatening the captain's life, and John fingering the trigger of a blunderbuss, which had a pretty good range. And now, gathering toward the scene of this nautical picture, the crew, muttering, pointing, and wide-eyed. Now the picture moves, as the captain holds on with one hand and gesticulates with the other. Men, listen to me! I'm your captain, and you who have sailed with me before know, oh, how well you know, that I have only your welfare at heart. Which of you has it in him to stand by and watch his captain perish? Which of you does not remember the storms I've sailed you through, the still seas and the torrents? And which of you could not come to me in times of stress, needing advices or medicines? And I would give it to you. Men, I order you. Seize those two men who wish to murder me and throw me into irons. I order it. And there will be rum in the forecastle when I get back on deck. You've heard me, men. Now act. The men used to a ship where fair play had been practiced only shifted their feet and listened just as attentively to what Dickie Coyle had to say. And Dickie Coyle said it. Get below, men. I'll divide with all of you what monies there are in the captain's chest. Get below. How's the trigger, John boy? Fixed. Throw him overboard, John. Now turn the boat around, John boy, and let's go back to Venice. Finally, it is the two of you. After a year, it's been. Hello, ma'am. Malte. I cannot allow myself to say it. Oh, yes, you can. Your husband's dead, ma'am. You tell me this? Foot caught in a halyard, ma'am, and over I went. In a storm he was. Men begging him to stay below. They loved him so. But not him, brave fool that he was. Police! Ma'am, what are you saying? There came here a steward to my husband from whom you wrested the blunderbuss he would not give you. He has told me the story. How you shot, John Boy, we'd better run. We'd best leave here, John Boy. I'd like to read a translation from a Venetian chronicle of the time. Richardson and Coyle were apprehended by the local police on the Ponte Vecchio, where they were splitting a goatskin of wine. When taken in custody, they were dressed as gondoliers. In prison, Richard Coyle convinced his jailer that a terrible mistake had been made, that he and his friend were indeed servants to the King of Naples. They were released. Don't feel too badly, good man. Mistakes will happen. Come along, John. The King must be worried. Come, come. Only to be apprehended again when they paused over another skin of wine. And they were tried. 
and found guilty of murder and mutiny. And one day, they were led in chains to a ship of the Navy which was about to sail. The order of execution had it that Richard Coyle was to die first, but there was a conference. You want to go first, don't you, John boy? Oh, well... Sure you do. I want to go first! So the order was reversed. And as the ship sailed to sea, they were hanged from a yardarm. And past the breakwater, they were cut down. John Richardson hit the water first. In just a moment, Thomas Highland will tell you about next week's crime classic. Coyle and Richardson, tonight's crime classic, was adapted from the original court reports and newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was composed by Bernard Herman and conducted by Lud Gluskin. And the program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland is portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. In tonight's story, Walter Tetley was heard as Coyle and Clayton Post as Richardson. Featured in the cast were Georgia Ellis, Herb Butterfield, Gladys Holland, and Charles Calvert. Gil Warren speaking. And here again is Thomas Highland. Next week, the border country just after the Civil War. And a report on some soldiers who continued killing after it was legally prohibited. It's listed in my files as the Younger Brothers. Why, some of them grew no older. Thank you. Good night. Don't forget... The old redhead, Red Barber, will be masterminding CBS Radio's exclusive broadcast of the Maryland-Oklahoma Grid Fracas down in Miami's Orange Bowl this New Year's Day. Your radio's your ticket and your midfield seat as well for the big one of January 1, the Orange Bowl Classic. Miami to you via most of these same stations. Thursday night, Marlena Dietrich stars in Time for Love on the CBS Radio Network.